Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today we have on Stephanie. I found Stephanie over on TikTok. She has an amazing account. And uh, as soon as this podcast starts, you're going to watch me mispronounce the name of her account approximately 15 times. So we aren't going to do that again right now. Um, <laughs> I promise. Track down her account. She has some great, some great stuff on there. Uh, she has left a, a heavy evangelical background. And we are going to talk today about how she was raised to be a trophy wife for God, how she was really required to set down self in order to achieve that, how she was taught to despise things like her own body, um, and also the patriarchal systems that are so enmeshed within this evangelical culture and how she is trying to buck those within her own life to reset and restructure her own mind and her own life following that. So uh, sit back Enjoy. As always, it's going to be a fabulous episode. Hi, Stephanie. How are you doing today? I am good. <laughs> Thank you. I just got a phone call right there. So <laughs> it's not. It's one of those things. I mean, I, it's Look, the fact that we're even recording this, I think is a huge deal. And if we get five minutes, I feel, I feel like we've had a success. <laughs> we listen. So Stephanie and I have been trying to record this for a while now. Um, and it has, yeah, it's been just one thing after another, either like she had something come up or I had something come up and it is, it has been a, a, a sad, dark comedy of events. <laughs> that, like It's yeah. just been terrible. Yeah. And then this morning I was like, we're finally going to get it. We're finally going to get it. And I could not sign in to this platform that I use for a good 20 minutes. And I was like, no, but we got it. We're here and it's going to be beautiful. Okay. So Stephanie is another one. Those of you who have listened to me for a while know that I have a long list of, I found these people on TikTok and they're phenomenal. Um, and Stephanie is on that list. So she has a great platform, a platform. I, we're on, we're on a roll phone calls, platforms. It's fine. It's fine. So she, I know. <laughs> her platform is the ex evangelical Xenial. Which Zenial. is a mouth? Uh, did I miss? Ooh. <laughs> I even phonetically wrote it so I would get it right. What Zenial? Yes. Right. Exvangelical yes. Zenial. Yes, it's like <sighs> a mixture of gen so it's the micro generation between Gen X and uh -huh. Millennial, and it's like it and the numbers, like the dates, kind of people argue over it, but it's it's usually like nineteen. 80, 81, 81, really to like 86. 
And it's just like this tiny little, it's also called the Oregon Trail Generation. And really what it is, is we were a generation that did not grow up with social media. Like I didn't have, like MySpace came out when I was, after I graduated, the closest thing we had was AOL Instant Messenger. And we didn't even really have that until the last couple of years of high school. Um, I did get a cell phone when I turned 16 because I was driving. Um, but we didn't obviously didn't text and, um, yeah, that's, that is the, that's the micro generation. So we're, we've, we've got our foot in both worlds, but I'm going to be real with you and say that Xennials don't like to be identified with, um, with millennials and it's just like a funny thing and now that I've been on now that I've been like really doing TikTok and social media I don't feel that way anymore but there was a time (laughs) all right well so you regardless of how we pronounce it uh Stephanie's got a pretty amazing platform going going uh she's up to 37,000 followers which is phenomenal and her content is just very good it's done a lot uh with comedy a lot of um very important information dropped in kind of comedic sketch form. Uh, it's not exclusive, but you do that a lot where you're like the one, like uh, pretending to be a camp counselor or pretending to do, you know, be these people. Yeah. Her eyes are ta- yeah. saying that she doesn't agree with my assessment here. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Oh, okay. No. I was like, uh, I thought so. No, 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 no. Um, okay. I, perfect. So, okay. Here's the thing. Like I, I think I'm funny sometimes. Like, like I think my stuff is it's funny to me because I pull it from real life experience and I'm emulating certain people in my life. However, no one knows that except for my husband or the very few people. We're talking like maybe five people that mm-hmm. know me personally that follow me. And so, uh, you know, somebody you'll, somebody that I used to go to church with, she used to be a children's pastor and she follows me. We're really good friends. And she'll text me the, like a video and she'll be like, oh my gosh, you nailed this person. Like, this is so hilarious. No <laughs> one else gets that, but you know, right. we all laugh and thankfully people still think it's kind of funny. Um, but they think it's really funny if they knew who I was emulating. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We are going to get straight into this because you have a lot of amazing things to talk about and I want to, yeah, I just want to get to it. So you told me, and this is a pretty profound, large statement. You told me that you were raised to be God's trophy wife. And there's a lot wrapped into that. Like I have, I have probably 18 bullet points underneath of both physical and spiritual sides of like what that means to be like God's trophy wife. So kind of walk us through how you were raised with this mentality, like explain what this means, explain how this showed up in your life. And then we're going to break it down. Yes. It's interesting because we chatted so long ago that this morning I I was trying to remember what I told you. And I just thought this is going to like, I'm not coming prepared for this because I don't even remember what I said. And deconstruction is interesting in the fact that you don't really get to choose what you're working through. It's just this 
Like mm. you'll run into a situation and you'll realize, oh, I think this way because of uh-huh. this lie that I was given. And yeah. at the time that we talked, like that's what I was really working through. But it's very true. So trophy wife. The idea of a trophy wife is that it's somebody that a powerful male marries and usually this person is well, you know, like they take care of themselves. They're, they're beautiful by the world standards of beauty, by the region standard, standard standards of beauty. And I say that because like you go to different parts of the country and I there's different standards of beauty. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's all kind of, it all feels like it looks the same, but there's like those tiny little micro differences. Oh, and yeah. I think of, when I think of a trophy wife, I think of somebody that's really pretty to look at, but they're not allowed to talk. And mm. if they do talk, they're never supposed to elevate themselves above or show their intelligence above the person that they're married to because their their right. job is to consistently show up and make that person look really good. And that's how I feel I was groomed is to be somebody that the world can admire in the physical sense. So it's like it, it you know with beauty and always always being you know dressed well and it, there's something that we were told as women growing up in the evangelical movement that you always want to make sure you're put together because nobody's going to want to follow Christ if nobody, if you're not put together. Like that was something that was impressed upon women. I didn't hear that impressed upon men ever, but for women, yeah, like we were supposed to show up. I, I mean, just my upbringing with my mom, not being able to leave the house with pajamas on, always having to have, you know, like at a certain age, making sure that I had makeup on. Um, If I was going to walk in heels, she made me walk up and down on a line with a broomstick on my, like to hold like the, um, I would be holding a broomstick on the back of my neck so that I would have perfect posture. And I'd be hold it like books would be on my head and I'd be in heels. And she's like, you can't, you cannot wear heels until you can prove to me that you can walk like a lady in heels because no daughter Mm -hmm. of mine is going to be a hunchback walking Mm -hmm. in heels. And Mm -hmm. even as a young wife, first off, I got married when I was 20. So even as that, it was, you always need to make yourself presentable to your husband. You never want him. You never want to be the reason why his eyes look look at a different woman. Mm -hmm. And I fully believed that because I wasn't, I wasn't told any different. I mean, I just thought, well, this is the way that we expand the kingdom of God. And growing up and hearing you always have to be kingdom minded just sort of went together. So, right. Um, right. Which is, this. you've dropped so many things so fast that are all such massive mind fucks to a person. Like, because the implications are so much bigger, right? At first, Mm -hmm. and this is how we take it in as kids. It's like, oh, well, I need to to look nice for God. And we don't think like, one, why would an all-powerful God need a pretty girl to get 
you know what I mean? To like get someone in there. And also, you want to know who why is my pretty girl? It was all the evangelical pastors. That's who wanted the pretty little girl. Let's be. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that I, you know with like all this stuff coming out with like SBC and all the other um, evangelical stuff, um, evangelical denominations. It's like yeah, no, no, no. Actually, they were the ones that wanted the little girls mm-hmm. pretty and the little boys mm-hmm. handsome. Like, mm-hmm. hmm. yeah, we well, weren't groomed for like, God, but yeah. When you said you know trophy wives are supposed to just keep their mouth shut and. It's like the silencing in such a literal and tying that silencing into your physicality, right? Just deepening. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like, okay, this is what I, I would love to get your thoughts on this. When I look around at the way that social media acts, the way that, well, all media acts, um, diet culture, the religious aspect of all of this that comes in, in, in a good lot of religions. Um, Mormonism hits it differently, but they definitely hit it. What I can't help but see is like, okay, if we wanted to keep an entire population, particularly of very strong women, so distracted that they will stay in their place, what better way to do it than to have us so obsessed with our own physical inadequacy that we can't see past it? Yeah. I mean, The other thing too is the evangelical movement obviously embraces the patriarchy, which the idea behind that is to consistently keep women in a in competition with each other. And Mm, so we're talk about that when we're consistently in competition with each other. We're we don't have time for anything else. You know what I mean? Like if I see you, Devry you're an author and I'm writing, a, I'm in the process of writing a book and I look at you and I think, well, I mean, look at her. She's got all these books. I need to be better than her. Instead of saying, Devry's an asset and mm-hmm. a friend and mm-hmm. a resource. Like mm-hmm. instead of embracing your successes and seeing that if you rise, that gives room for me to rise too. I say, mm-hmm. look at Devry. Let's destroy Devry. Mm-hmm. And when I'm destroying you, I'm not, I'm not busying myself with doing things that will platform other people, that will get a message out, that will mm-hmm. enrich my life. I am spending all of my time and energy and resources in just destroying who you are. And when mm-hmm. I destroy who mm-hmm. you are, you take several people with you. Mm-hmm. And that's how women have been operating. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it, I mean, it's for the, you know, the patriarchy encourages that. The evangelical movement certainly encourages that. I mean, just this stupid messaging, like uh, James Dobson, he's the, um, many people would say that he's the father of conversion therapy, um, the architect behind purity culture. And you look at his stuff and it infiltrated not just the evangelical movement, but it infiltrated um, uh, the LDS community. It infiltrated um, and just mainstream society. Just a lot of his books, like he had one book and then they would write a secular version. So they would remove just enough of the Jesus and God rhetoric 
but it's still the same thing, just to make sure that every kid had biblical principles. However, with that, he, he would say things like, if you're not pretty enough, your husband will look at a different woman. So immediately I see other women as competition. I don't see my husband as being somebody that is contemplating cheating on me or has, you know, looking at other women or whatever. Like I see the woman as the problem, not my husband, not the patriarchy, but the woman. And constantly portraying women as as villains. We're not villains or portraying women as Jezebels and we're not Jezebels. Um, Right. But they certainly make us out to be because if they can keep us competing with each other, then we won't take down the patriarchy. We won't have enough energy. Well, and if if you are in a system of deep patriarchal control, abuse, um, the only way to get power is to push down other women because you can't push down the men, right? Like that's out of your reach. So the only option is to push down other women. And we all want power because that is a human thing, unfortunately. Um, But I think it's deeper than that too, because I think we want power on a very human nature, but I think that we know that we deserve a voice and that's the only way we think we can get it. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, Women in the evangelical movement, and this is such a broad statement, women in the evangelical movement are so competitive. And I've heard, I've heard it's like that also in LDS communities. Um, I can't speak to that, but I know that women in the evangelical movement, man, like, you know, the person that's the head of women's ministry, that person holds a lot of power. The mm-hmm. you know pastor's wife holds a lot of power, and they know that mm-hmm. they're gonna play it off like it's brand new information to them, but it's not. They're aware. Mm-hmm. They absolutely know what's going on. Yeah. And again, instead of platforming other women, they take that all for themselves and they use it to subdue the voices of women that they disagree with. If they choose to platform other women, it's because those women are worshiping that person or their message isn't strong enough that it's not going to, it won't compete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, it's just interesting. It is interesting. And I'm trying to think, I listened to an amazing podcast um, as Malcolm Gladwell's pod podcast, which um, fascinating. Oh my God. Like he, his subjects look so random. Like you read the descriptions and you're like, what, why do I want to listen about McDonald's French fries? And then it's the most interesting thing you've heard in a year, but like, He's talk. He 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 did an episode on um, conformity, and he was covering race and gender, and so he was talking about how when you don't have power. So one of the examples he gave was of a company that was like, "Oh, we're going to hire women um, to like change the culture here, right?" So they put one woman in each of their offices across the country, and it was a disaster. The women did extraordinarily poorly. Um, And they couldn't figure out what was happening because they'd hired very competent women. And so they hired someone to come in and figure out what's happening. And what they realized was because they were alone, the only way they could survive the environment was to participate in the boys club. They had to Mm -hmm. change themselves in order to hold on to the footing that they had. And they had to become one of the boys. 
And the only way that they could fix that was to give each office more women. And if you had two or three, now it started to shift because they didn't have to play by those rules, right? And I think it's the same in church. If you have one woman in a position of power, she has no choice but to play by the rules of the big boys club. And at that point, yep. what is she, she going to do? She's going to do what they're doing, which is we're going to tear the other woman down. One, so she can fit in and two, so she can maintain her power. Um, yep. And that is just how it goes, like whether it's business or religion or anything. And then by keeping that patriarchal system in place, it prevents any of these groups from forming, which is what's so necessary for us all to rise. And the interesting thing really like to expand on that is that yeah. and growing up in a high control religion, and I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's like, we were told there are so many stark differences between male and female that males are leaders, women are, women are followers because, you know, emotions. And I, I think about that. And I think about the fact that, yeah, okay, great. Like there are women that are, that are more introverted, that are more quiet and that enjoy just like men that enjoy doing stuff behind the scenes because that's that's where they thrive right but then there's also women that have that are extroverted that have strong leadership skills that are saying well i don't fit inside that gender stereotype i might still like how however you identify i don't fit inside that gender stereotype and I'm told not to be like a man, but in order to get ahead, I have to, I, I have to take on the characteristics of a man, but I'm not supposed to take on the characteristics of a man. Mm -hmm. And so we actually feel an immense amount of shame. I speak from yeah. that experience. Like when I speak out and I take a leadership role, I feel an incredible amount of shame because I was told so often, stop acting like a man. That's what feminists mm -hmm. do. And it's Which is like, such not, a dirty word. <laughs> acting, I know. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not acting like a man. I'm acting like myself. Right. And the only right. difference between men and women are body parts. Uh -huh. That's uh -huh. just like, I was given different parts than, than my husband. And... Uh, it's just, and I'm, I'm speaking completely from, you know, like I said, my, my perspective, um, and I, my pronouns are she, her. So it's like, I'm speaking from my perspective, but I just, it's just infuriating to me that mm -hmm. if I act a certain way, it's like, stop acting like a man. No, I'm acting like myself. I have strong uh -huh. leadership qualities and I am aggressive. Yes. And yes. in fact, I hated the way that they portrayed women my whole life. So I have, I have always gravitated towards how men lead because I identify with like, that feels very right to me because I have a strong, um, because I have strong leadership, strong personality. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've just always gone that direction because I saw men getting ahead in life, like men being leaders, men getting the fun projects, men getting to do all the cool things. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. I'm going to go that direction because mm 
my voice matters. And so I always steered that direction. Meanwhile, all the other girls were over here and I couldn't fit in that. I, I, yeah. I just couldn't fit in that, you know, in that, in that way, mm-hmm. I couldn't make myself small enough yeah. for me to be, for, for somebody to look at me and say, you're such a great example for women. I could never make myself that small. And I tried uh-huh. all while also having this, right. All while being like, okay, well in this situation, I'm going to make myself super small, but in this situation over here, I am going to, I I'm going to be loud and I'm going to make myself, I'm, I'm going to feel, I'm going to believe that I can be just like the boys over here. And it, it led to such a conflict within myself. All mm-hmm. that masking is so exhausting. And then coming out of religion, you start to recognize just how many masks you wore and mm-hmm. how many masks you have to, pe- it's like, you know, those, um, remember in the 90s or the, yeah, the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, when they would have like those masks that basically went on like Elmer's glue, and then you'd have to like peel them off and they'd go clear. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, it's probably because um, I just wasn't cool enough because I'm older than you apparently. So it wasn't that I wasn't around. It was just like, I don't think I did that. Yeah, thing. they were like, <laughs> they went on. They look basically look like like a jelly, like a like a hair gel, and they went. Was it like on, like a face would... mask, like for like yeah. your skin? Oh, yeah. okay. I'm thinking like Halloween like, yeah. mask, and I'm like, I got nothing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like a face mask. Okay. You know how you would try to peel it off, and sometimes like the most satisfying thing was like when you could peel the whole thing off, and it would just like come uh-huh. off. You know how sometimes a little bit would come off at a time and you're like, you're going to be here for hours. That's what it feels like removing masks that you have been wearing for years to Mm. survive inside of high control religion. And one of them is the gender stereotyping that I am not allowed to make myself big, like a man quote, like a man, I have to be small, like a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not um, even just... I feel like it's more than stereotyping though, because stereotyping is just like, this is how all women are, which is totally happening. But it's so much deeper than that because that mask is being worn because you are not of value and you are not godly enough without the mask. Right. Like you are not, it's, you're not, you're not close enough to a deity. What's interesting is the evangelical movement cast so much shame on the Mormon LDS church mm-hmm. because of how they operate in the open. And, you know, just this idea, like when you get to heaven, then you're going to have, um, and I might get this wrong. You'll, you'll have, you know, multiple wives and you'll be basically like a your own God and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is interesting yeah. for, for those of you who aren't sure she's not wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is interesting aside from polygamy, that is how fundamental evangelical Christian homes run anyway. Mm-hmm. That the man is a deity because this idea of covering so like you've got the umbrella of protection. If you have seen 
the uh, shiny happy people. Um, I haven't. And that is, it's unacceptable that I've not watched that yet because it is applicable to to what I do. Um, I did yeah. talk to, I have an episode with Ellie um, where she talks about, yeah, this, this very umbrella system did you so when she when she and I were talking I was surprised because I understood you know being under your father and then transferring your husband's umbrella like that tracked for me but then she was like yeah but if you get a divorce as an adult woman like then you just go back under your dad's umbrella father what (laughs) as a grown-ass woman oh my god yeah but listen but listen it gets better because that umbrella of your father so in I grew up with two versions of that. I grew up with the umbrella of protection. I also grew up with the word covering because that was in the Bible. Like you're like God's covering or Jesus covering or something like that. So, but the two were interchanged. It's just one sounds so culty. And so depending on whether your church wanted to really be incognito with the fact that it was a cult, that's what they would choose to say. So the umbrella of protection, God, husband or father wife children right and i i would beg that like children and wife are the same thing because of just how in fact in if your child was a boy it would be elevated i i would argue even though that's not what the model looks like i would argue that if you if you are a woman and had you know have a male child that male is above you that's what mm-hmm. i would argue in some in Mm -hmm. some of the um churches inside of some denominations but yeah okay it it is so indoctrinated into especially girls to blindly follow everything that their dad says that even when they get married it's this idea that the man that they marry goes underneath the bride's the woman's um umbrella dad's umbrella of protection that's i would argue that because i and i still see it i was talking with a gal not too long ago and she was talking to me about how she really wants to leave her her and her husband you know she really wants to leave her church like they are definitely abusing her it's a bad situation and she's like yeah but then like you know my my dad and my mom came over and we talked about it and my dad just kind of feels like blah 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 And I said, do you understand what you're saying? That your dad is making a decision for you, for Mm -hmm. you and your husband and your two children. And that is what it's like growing up in an evangelical home. I mean, I'm no contact with my parents, but my parents, and the reason why, I mean, because I escaped the evangelical movement and then they lost control. They lost say. I, Mm, it used to be like, I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I could not make a decision on buying a shirt without texting my mom, what it looked like, or really just any type of purchase. You know, it's like, mom, what do you think? What do you think? Um, or dad, what do you think about this? Especially if it was a financial one. Like I, I didn't lean on my own, um, research, my own knowledge. No, I, I went to my parents to see what they right. thought. And my husband was equally like, yeah, what do you, like, let's look at, you know, what your parents say. Um, 
because that's how we were raised. And that's how so many women inside the evangelical movement are still subject to. It's more blatant inside the IBLP, um, but not, it's, it's a little bit less blatant in the fundamental evangelical, but yeah. And yeah, that's so we were, crippling. I mean, it's so crippling. It is. I mean, I couldn't even, so when I left, I remember just being at a drive-thru, whether it was like Starbucks or taco time or something like that. I don't know. I remember being at a drive-thru and just sitting there looking at the menu and thinking, dear God, I don't know how to make decisions for myself mm-hmm. because every single mm-hmm. thing had an eternal implication to it. Every interaction, like that's the thing with the evangelical movement is even your interaction with the gal at the grocery store, like the checker at the grocery store, that's your opportunity to share Jesus. And if you leave without talking about the fact that you're a Christian, you go to church or you once go like this whole line, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. her going to hell is on you. It is your fault if that person does not know Jesus. And so sitting there knowing that, okay, well, if I get it, it sounds stupid, but it's like, if I order this, like somehow we could tie it back to there's an eternal consequence for it. And then of course you add purity culture, you add diet culture, like you have to be a certain size. Like the thing is, is evangelical men want women a certain size because if they can keep us hungry, if they can keep us exhausted, then they can keep us more compliant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ordering a taco could impact this, which could impact this, which could impact it. Right. So it's like, so if you, so if you ordered a taco, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk through what the logic I'm hearing here. So if you order yeah, a taco, I'm, just, I'm using a taco. No, I, I think I can make this work. I yeah, can make this work, which is what's okay. so, which is what's so messed up. So if you order a taco and you decide you would like the, you know, like the double decker with the extra stuff on it. Now the calorie okay, now count I'm is hungry. high enough. Yeah, I know, right? I have celiacs and I miss those double-decker Taco Bell tacos. are <laughs> delicious yeah. and I cannot eat them anymore. But um, so no. So if you order that and it's three times the calorie of just the regular taco. So now you're risking gaining weight. And if you gain weight and then you aren't attractive enough for the cashier when you go into Walmart, then they will be less interested in Jesus because... You ate that goddamn taco. Or you ate that taco. It had a lot of calories and it causes you to, you know, the, um, to, to put on some weight and then your husband's not as interested. So you pushed him into cheating Mm -hmm. on you. And Mm -hmm. because he Mm -hmm. cheated on you, he has brought great shame. And you know what I'm saying? Like there's, yeah, there's something for everything. There's, you know, um, Well, and here's like, I want to say something really quick to people who are listening because there are going to be some people who are like, Oh, Oh my God. Yes. And then there are going to be some people who are like, well, I don't know if I ever thought like that. And maybe they didn't, but I would say that you probably didn't realize fully how you were thinking either (laughs) until you started pulling the masks off because to look any of this in the face, to really realize and see the manipulation structures, the hows and whys of why you're thinking, it's so ugly and so messy that we have to push it down and out in order to maintain our standing within that religious structure. 
And so we just think, oh, well, no, I just want to be healthy instead of sitting in it long enough to be like, oh, no, there's more here. Like, yes, I would like to have a healthy body, but there is way more here that is too ugly for me to look at. Yeah. And I mean, I, what I personally think is if you struggle with indecisiveness, you know, um, decision fatigue, that sort of thing, chances are you have had either religious trauma or narcissistic abuse. And the two are so intertwined um, because religious trauma is caused by narcissists. Um, You know, pastors are narcissistic people. Most of them, I'm not saying all of them, but most of most evangelical pastors, especially mega church pastors are narcissistic. And chances are, if you grew up in a home that followed this stuff so strictly, there's some element of mental health or narcissism that's involved Mm -hmm. with that. So it's a lot. I mean, when you have somebody telling, like my husband was saying this this morning, women have somebody telling them how to feel and how to interpret the world mm-hmm. in like when, if, when you're in church, they, they have a man telling them how to feel and how to interpret the world through his lenses all the time. Like women are not allowed to have feelings. They're not mm-hmm. allowed to. And so many people would argue, right? Like, but we have women's ministry. Sure. You have women's ministry under the headship of a man and every, mm-hmm. all of that curriculum goes through him. And if that's not what he's comfortable with the women in his church knowing, because he doesn't want them radicalized, he doesn't want woke women, then you don't get taught that. Everything that you are taught in church is to keep you small, is to keep Mm -hmm. you from having big feelings, is to keep you subdued. And uh, we were just kind of like deconstructing that. It's like, even down to the idea of of the idea that women are crockpots. They have to take a, you know, they take all day to warm up to be able to have sex with their husbands. And he, he was like, so there you have a woman that's like, well, now I'm supposed to be like, it's, it's shameful of me just to like, want my husband. I'm right. supposed, a lady, a lady is a crock. <laughs> right. A, a, right. You know, a God, a godly woman subdues her sexual energy energy. Whereas yes. a worldly woman, well, they're animals. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yes. And there you have again women against women, right? But that mm-hmm. exactly there's something there. Exactly. You know? Well, there is. And even even Absolutely. telling the men, like, your wife's a crockpot. I mean, how stupid to to <laughs> equate us to an appliance, an archaic yes. appliance. Anyway, whatever. First, um, first problem. But yeah, no, you're yeah. right. It's the amount of the amount of shame. It's it's you are you are wrong. Your natural your naturalness is wrong, right? Your your yeah. natural sexual response is wrong. Your natural emotional response is wrong. Your natural the size and shape of your voice and your body and your like you are inherently wrong, which is why you must stay here and push more because mm-hmm. we are the only way that you will ever be right again. 
Right. And I think of, okay, so when I think trophy wife to like circle back, I think of the movie, The Stepford Wives, not the original, but the one that Faith Hill was in and how everything was controlled. And that is, if there wasn't, I mean, there's many things that I look at and I'm like, oh, that's a really good depiction of how high control religion is. Okay, no, that is a beautiful depiction of how the fundamental evangelical movement operates. There mm-hmm. is a man, I'm going to say James Dobson, Bill Gothard, um, uh, there's a couple others, LaHaye, um, that they orchestrate how people should operate, like what people should do, how people should operate, what women should be like, what children should be like. And everybody just goes along with it. And it's this perfect little community. There's never any problems. And that's, that's what they're wanting. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to have the ultimate power and control. Yeah. So you said, yeah, I remember wild. in our pre-interview, we were talking about, um, that you were not allowed to feel anger and that you had to feel mm-hmm. joy. And we had a conversation about um, the necessity of spiritual bypassing uh, within evangelicalism. And yeah. I will say Mormonism and I will say quite a few religions. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. Like why, why were you not allowed to feel things? Because so we were, we were told, that feelings that your heart was was evil and feelings come from your heart and you aren't allowed to trust your heart so like wait they um, actually said so okay this is really interesting so they said in those words you are not allowed to trust your heart correct because your heart holy shit is your heart is evil and i don't even um, I'm mm. going to pull up the scripture. Um, oh my God. Uh, my brain scripture. is going bananas. So while you, while you pull this up, this is fascinating to me because on the one Je- hand, hold on. Jeremiah, going... Go ahead. Yeah. Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can trust it. So, wow. That is what we were told. And we, it gets better though, because we couldn't trust our heart, right? We could only trust God. Here's the kicker. We brought all of our stuff to who? A male pastor who would be the deciding (laughs) one of whether, oh, okay. Yeah. That's well, we were told to bring it to God, but also your accountability partner or the pastor's wife or the pastor or whomever, right? So everybody was telling me how I should feel and, and, and how I should interpret things. So yeah, it's, it's the idea of spiritually bypassing too. It's like, I couldn't feel anger because anger, unless it was righteous anger. And the only example of righteous anger is Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, which is always misinterpreted. Now, real talk, Jesus went into the temple and had a fucking tantrum, like a full on big boy tantrum. He was super pissed off. They were, they were turning the temple into a marketplace and just desecrating the house of God. And he's, 
So he goes in and he just vandalizes the entire place, calls them a brood of vipers, which is basically saying, you know, you guys are a bunch of douchebags, along with several other words. And yeah, just a giant adult tantrum, like what we want to do sometimes. So he loses his shit in public. And somehow that's righteous anger, even though at the same time, he's like, do not sin in your anger. And obviously vandalizing property probably was a sin. I digress. But that's our example of righteous anger, right? Like a giant tantrum. But I am not allowed, the only thing that I'm allowed to be angry of, we had a, it was the short list, abortions, divorce, and gay people. Like that, those were my things that I was allowed to be, that was righteous anger. However, which is, it's it's hilarious because obviously if you're allowed to be angry about divorce, you're not allowed quotation to get divorced. So the only thing you're allowed to be angry about is other people's problems. (laughs) Yeah. Or, uh, or like sex, sex before sex out of wedlock in any capacity. So like basically, so what, what they're saying is actually being angry about something having about the injustices of the world is a sin but judging people Mm -hmm. that's exactly totally fine yeah they rename they change the language inside of the inside the evangelical movement so spiritually bypassing what that would look like is i would feel anger over something and i would go to the altar and i'd say god please, like, I repent of this anger. I don't want to become bitter. By the way, bitterness is only ever used about women. It is never used about men. Um, Because again, they're trying to prevent women from having feelings. So they're Mm -hmm. saying, instead of saying like, wow, it sounds like you're really angry. It's you have developed a bitter root and you need to confess that to God before it controls every area of your life. Meaning, dear God, this woman's about to become an activist and I'm going to lose my position of power. Mm -hmm this is how I'm going to control her and shut her up. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's always surrounding a woman being a whistleblower, right? Like, Uh... you're getting too close. You are getting too close to me with that. You need to stop. Um, So I would go to the altar and I would say, God, I'm sad or I'm angry or any other feeling. Please help me feel peace. Please give me the peace that passes on all understanding. Please give me the joy of the Lord. So you'd be praying these things and then you pretend to feel them. And I say that, I'm going to say it again. You pretend to feel them because you don't actually feel them because you haven't worked through your anger. You haven't worked through your depression. You haven't worked through your anxiety. Anxiety is a really good one too. You have to pretend to feel peace. Because if you continue to feel anxiety, then you're not a Christian. You didn't really give it over to God, right? So you have to keep pretending. You have to spiritually bypass that Mm -hmm. and pretend that you have peace. And I got really good at pretending that I had joy. I did not know what joy felt like. Like, I will never forget it. We were out driving somewhere like six months ago. And out of nowhere, I just like took a deep breath and I let it out. And I looked at my husband and I was like, 
I'm happy. I'm really mm-hmm. happy. There was nothing yeah. that caused it. I was just like, I'm happy. And it, he just looked at me. He's like, okay. And I was like, I've never felt happiness before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've never felt it. I never knew what peace was until yes. I escaped the fundamental evangelical Christian cult. Never knew what peace was. Yeah. I had been told what it was supposed to look like biblically. And that's what I, it, that's what I mirrored. Right. right. I masked that. Yeah. I never yeah. knew what peace was or joy. And how, ever. how offended would you have been? So go back to your evangelical self. And if someone said to you, Oh, Stephanie, no, like this thing you're feeling is not happiness. Like you don't know happiness and you don't know peace. Like how offended would you have been? Oh, I would have had an easy answer for that. And I would have said, God's ways are not our ways and you are not walking with Jesus. So you can't feel the whole spectrum of happiness, like happiness in that there's a big distinction. Christians aren't happy. And I need to say that Christians can't be happy. Um, Christians can't be happy because happiness is something that happens in the world. It's a superficial feeling. Joy is a spiritual oh. feeling. So joy comes in the midst of sorrow. Though my sorrow may last for the night, my joy cometh in the morning. That happiness is not, no, absolutely not. We sing songs like, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down in my heart. Like that is something that comes from, from God. Joy comes from God. Happiness comes from the world. Happiness comes from, you know, you getting something from the world, like, um, something tangible, right? Like, oh, I'm happy because of X, Y, Z. Right. But joy, no, no. Joy comes with sacrifice. This is so messed up. My heart is hurting so bad during this conversation right now, because I just, the amount of people that are harmed from this just is currently making me physically ill. Um, because it's so, if you look at this, so you take everything you just said, which I actually was, did a pre-interview with someone yesterday and we were talking about this, this same exact thing. Um, and she, so she's walking through that, but at the same time, if you're unhappy and you're depressed and you're anxious, it's, it's because you aren't godly enough, but also You're not supposed to be happy if you're godly because you can only get joy through sorrow. Do you see where I'm going with this? Here's the thing. Like, it's so messed up. If you were to go to somebody and say, I don't feel happy anymore, they would look at you and say, well, good. You're not supposed to feel happy. You're supposed to feel like, um, you're, you know, we'll pray for peace or we'll pray for joy, but you're not supposed to be happy. The other thing too is, um, you are not allowed to feel content because contentment is seen as complacency in the evangelical movement. If you are not suffering, you are not godly. And it does not matter how rich or how poor you are. There is some way that you can suffer. And what does that mean? We are consistently creating our own dramatic scenarios so that we are always suffering. It is like our nervous system 
is always operating in fight, fight, flight, freeze, uh -huh. fawn, because we have, like, we're always on guard. We're yeah. always, because, so I can't tell you how many times that I have heard the message of, you know, we move from mountaintop to mountaintop, but in the middle is a valley, or you're either coming out of something or going into something, meaning yeah. you're either coming out of a tragedy or going straight into one. Like, holy mother, that is so cynical. What a terrible way to yeah. look at life. Like things happen and that's terrible, but I have lived my life that every, it's called foreboding joy, that every single time things are going okay, that means that something bad is going to happen because God would never let me have peace this long. Mm. Like just, wow. like just calm, not even peace. I'm sorry, calm. Because peace, you can't feel peace unless you're wrestling with something. See, peace wow. is an end result. Peace isn't something you feel in the middle. Peace is the end result that happens from you wrestling with something. So if you're going through a tragedy, that means that you have fought that, like that storm. You might have peace in the middle of the storm, but it took you a while to get to that peace. You have to earn peace. It's not just given to you. You have to earn it. Right. So you can't be godly unless you're miserable, really like when it boils down, like the more you totally. suffer, the better you're yep. doing. Yeah. See, and it's so and funny to me because I, th I think it's, <laughs> so you have to tell me if this is an evangelical viewpoint or not. Cause I, yeah, I think it might be. Um, I, a lot of religions are very fearful of meditation and part of it, of course you can say, Oh, well it's Buddhist. It's another religion or like, which it's not, but like we could say that, but I think where the real fear comes in is that it, puts people in a place of stillness and it's only from the place of stillness that you can realize that something is amiss, right? If you're always up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, in the hurricane, in the, like you never have time to look around and be like, wait a second, wait a second. So meditation is very dangerous for a lot of religious practices. And I think that they know it. What do you think? I'd agree. Um, we were just told that because prayer, prayer is meditation. Um, I was allowed to say that I'm meditating on God's word. I was allowed to say that. Um, but as far as, you know, other things, um, it just always, everything had to, everything had to point back to Jesus, everything, mm. you know, Getting in a conversation with somebody that's an evangelical is so awkward and exhausting because everything <laughs> has to point to Jesus. Like somehow right. we've got to insert Jesus into something. Um, yeah. And th that's just it is it's okay if it's about Jesus. It's not okay if it's not, right? So um, I can go to the mountains and I can feel you know, I, I can enjoy that experience, but in that enjoyment of the experience, it should be from me seeking God when I'm on the mountain, not me enjoying nature because that's, mm -hmm. that's too new age, just enjoying mm -hmm. nature. I can right. enjoy nature for the sake of admiring God's creation. 
but I can't just enjoy a flower or a tree for the sheer fact that it's a flower or a tree. Yeah. It has to oh. be something bigger. There was always something more. Like I said, there, everything was eternal. Everything. Right. Everything. Right. Which is a huge part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is an attempt to have conversations around the fact that the reason we're struggling so much is not only because we've been completely abused and, you know, our entire nervous system has been shot, but also, um, it's so scary and difficult to get out because the stakes are impossibly high. Because when we're talking about eternity, how are we supposed to make choices around something that our, our human brains can actually not fully comprehend? Eternity is too big. We do not understand it because we live in a space of time, right? Mm-hmm. And then also God. We cannot understand God because we are just a, mm-hmm. we're human beings. We don't understand that. And so the stakes in its not understandability becomes so, so huge that we now cannot make choices. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, and I really take a lot of the things apart. Um, just how, just the nonsense, you know, I just think of, I think of so many things that I was told so many things of, of just relating to the world and just the utter ridiculousness of it. Like I love to go hiking. And I can recall when I would go hiking, I'd feel guilty if I didn't give that experience over to Jesus Mm -hmm. and how just how much I was robbed of experiencing the now because I'm so focused on eternity. And that's the thing is like evangelicals can't ever be present because they have to be focused on eternity. So it's just like the way that the majority, like the way evangelicals take the environment, for example, when this is not their home, this home is temporary. They act like a bunch of unruly teenagers in a hotel room. They just trash it because they don't really care. It's not their home. Mm -hmm. See, the world is fallen and sinful and the world is dirty and bad, right? So oh, interesting. they're not going to care. I'm not speaking like there are some evangelicals like really planet conscious. Um, but that is something for like woke culture. That's for the people that that's for atheists. Atheists care about the environment. Agnostics care about the, care about the environment, but not. No, evangelicals, they give thanks for things, but they know that their home's not here. So again, that is a fascinating perspective and not one single person has ever said that. And that is so interesting. And I totally see where you're going with it with the, uh, yeah. um, well, just look it's at sinful and it's wrong and like burn it yeah. all down anyway. <laughs> right. Just look at, just look at the Republican, the, the far right wing agenda. They don't care yeah. about climate change because in their mind, if Devery, if they had if they were to accept climate change, then they'd have to accept science. Then they'd have to accept that the world really is older than 6,000 years. Mm-hmm. And they can't handle that. They absolutely yeah. positively cannot grasp because that's, and that's the cognitive dissonance, right? Like right. I'm going to do anything that I can 
to block out anything that disagrees with what or says differently than what I believe because I can't I can't handle the unraveling. And so right. they do. They a lot of a lot of fundamental evangelical Christians treat this planet like a hotel room that they can just trash and then leave for somebody else to clean up. Wow. And that's what they do because they're so focused on eternity. They don't care what's happening right now. Right. It just I want, doesn't okay, matter. So first of all, I loved what you said and I wrote it down because I didn't want to interrupt to like repeat it for everyone, but I'm going to repeat it for everybody now. I was robbed of the now because I was always focused on eternity. That is yeah. profound. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, and if you don't have answers, it's totally fine. Um, I know I've worked on this for years now. What, what have you done to help teach yourself, like not only how to be in the moment more and how to enjoy those things, but also, um, how you started making choices for yourself, because I think they probably go hand in hand a little bit. Are you writing down your own brilliant quote for later? You should be. I thought she was. Yeah, I am. <laughs> She's I am. like, you're right. That was good. <laughs> I, say, I say a lot of things and it's funny. Like I, I was on um, uh, Dave Capozzi's podcast, which is really great. Dig new streams. And he has just like a variety of very interesting, intelligent people on there. Mm -hmm. um, and he had me on, he had me on there and I have to listen sometimes like when I do a podcast, not my own, mind you, I actually do not listen to my own podcast because I'm the one that's editing it. And I'm like, well, just like all my photography stuff, I edit it and then I send it on its way. Um, but Dave Capozzi's I listened to, and I was like, Oh, I said that. And it's because I'm a verbal processor. Yes. That I'm processing yes. these things in real time. Right. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's actually, that's actually really, I'm, I'm happy that I finally found the words to say that because yeah. I've been searching for those words for a long time. And so, okay. So, uh, decision-making and then like, what did it look like to not be present? And then what does it look like to be present? Um, yeah, like That's what it a really looked like and, and what you what you did, because I know that there are going to be people who are like, yes, yes, I feel that, but I don't know how to fix it. Like, what steps mm -hmm. did you start to take? Yeah. I have been saying this mantra, it's sort of 12 step ish, but not really. I mean, yes and no. I've just been saying a lot over the course of the last probably six to eight weeks. I cannot control everything. The only thing that is in my control is my response to something. Mm -hmm. That's all that I have the ability to control how to respond or how I, how I respond. And I, that helps me. Um, Sometimes I have to go with like, you know, um, the senses, right? Like uh, there's, when I see, when I see kids going through an anxiety attack or, um, or just a meltdown, I use de-escalation skills like, hey, name three things that you see right now. 
name three things that you hear right now. Name three things that you feel right now, like physically feel, not emotionally, physically feel, because it brings you back. And that's really important. Like, what do you, you know, you can go through all your five senses, right? Like, what do you taste? What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? You know, all the things, but that grounds you back into your body because your, your body is like the physical thing, right? Like your feelings, that's body, mind, soul, right? So like your feelings, those aren't, those aren't tangible. So you've got to get back to a place that's tangible. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of like a therapy exercise to help bring you back down from anxiety because anxiety, mm-hmm. anxiety is not bad. Now, high control religion tells you it's bad, right? Tells you anxiety is from Satan. It is bad. And if you are walking with the Lord, you will not have anxiety. You will have peace. No, no, no. Anxiety is not bad. Anxiety is your body telling you something's off and you should pay attention to it. However, anxiety becomes a problem when you have been consistently living in a fight, flight, uh, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Because your body, the neural pathways have lost their ability to communicate to your body telling you whether or not you're okay like this idea and I'll, I'll circle back to what I was talking about but this idea like we we haven't evolved as much as we think we've evolved from the beginning of whenever man stepped on this planet forgot you know what I mean was created um we our body still interprets information the way that it interpreted in the primal state. So if I am, if I am in like, I'm going to say, if I'm in a hyper aroused state, so if I'm triggered by something, my body says there's a woolly mammoth behind me and I've got to run because that's how my body interprets it is a woolly mammoth or whatever prehistoric thing was going to threaten myself and my family. It doesn't say okay, but like stuff, it was just, you just like ran into somebody that you used to know. And that caused you, that caused your heart to like race. You're actually okay. It's not a big deal. Or Mm -hmm. you, you know, or you saw something or um, like shiny, happy people, or you got in a, in like somebody made you upset or something like that. Like my body says it's a woolly mammoth you are going to die, all the alarm bells, you need to run. And unless I complete the cycle while I'm telling myself, nope, actually you're safe. Like, let's check in. Let's go to that point where you feel, this is always like a point from childhood, right? So just like going inward and saying, okay, I see you, you're safe you're protected, we can move forward. Mm -hmm. You're safe, right? Like just consistently saying you're safe and then following that up with completing the cycle. So for me, it's like going for the best way for me to complete a cycle is for me to go for a run. Um, But following that up with something 
that will calm your sensory nervous system. Because again, your brain is saying, you need to fight it. You need to run from it. You need to freeze or there's also fun. Most of the time, like I said, for me, I have to, my, my body responds to like a physical, like I've got to run. Mm-hmm. For some people it's painting. For some people it's just taking a bath or something like that, but completing that so that you don't stay in that hyper triggered or hyper aroused state. Um, can I, I'm going to add one thing before we move on, just again, for people listening. Um, I love everything that you just said. And it's so true. Like in completing the cycle is huge because we don't do that, right? We don't let our body release Mm -hmm. that. Um, when we talk about, oh, sorry, I'm moving my light and I'm apologizing to you for reasons that I don't know. Um, so when we, when we chat, when we look, (laughs) right? We're like, Oh, sorry, sorry. I did something wrong. Um, when we look back at all the points that we've made today, so like the inability to make decisions, the inability to feel feelings, um, shame around our own feelings, shame around our own, um, emotions in regards to outside situations and inability. Oh, sorry. I just said that my brain is going four ways at once. Um, as well as the flight fight freeze fawn, for me, oh, and the verbal processing. So for me and you, we're both verbal processors. This will maybe be less effective for people who are not verbal processors. But for me, what's really helped hit all of the points that I just threw out is when that happens, so I'm triggered, right, by some thing that I don't know. I just am, yeah, in a highly aroused state. I don't know what's going on. Um, first, I will let the saber-toothed tiger come at me because if I don't, I am just holding it back with my hand. I'm creating more of a fight scenario. So if I can tell Mm -hmm. my brain what you're doing is like, listen, it's okay. Whatever this is, this is not going to hurt me. Sayana, it's not going to actually cause me harm. I'm going to relax into this and I'm going to let it just come. And then I start talking to get to the emotions beneath the emotions. So I'll be like, oh, hey, Devery. Hey, okay. Uh, What's, you know, what's going on here? What's going on? Well, I'm freaking out. Okay. Why? Why? Why are you freaking out? Like what's what's happening? I don't know. I just, I feel super, super anxious. Okay. Is there a reason? Well, they walked in and they look just like this other person. They, okay. All right. So how do you feel about that? Well, you know what? That person mm-hmm. hurt me and I've never processed that that person hurt me and I'm fucking pissed off about it. That's great. You get to be super pissed off about that. So what else? And I will just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. And eventually I will say something and I'm like, oh, there it is. There it is. I am hurt. I'm not frustrated. I'm not angry. I am hurt. And then I yep. can acknowledge it, process it. And then, yeah, like finish completing that cycle, whether it's a physical movement or whether it's crying or whether whatever it is. But that verbal processing of looking below the surface, I think is really important because that's what we were taught not to do. Yeah. The other thing too, is like what you just described beautifully is recreating those neural pathways. So mm-hmm. what happens is like, there's this whole idea, like you can't teach an old dog a new trick, but you can with the brain. You and that's can. what's really you great can. is the brain has this incredible ability to repair itself. Yeah. And that's what happens with neural pathways with CPT, you know, complex PTSD um, is that when you allow yourself to heal that trauma through whatever way that you do, it rewires that. So the next time yep. that you come up to something, you're 
state of being triggered is less. So the norm for me was to be, was for me to have a full three day, like I'd be triggered for three days. If something happened where I had to like advocate for myself or somebody made me upset, I would chew on something and I I could not fig, like uh, fixate on anything else or think about anything else. Like I was so in enmeshed in whatever was going on for three straight days. Wow. It was exhausting. But now that only happens in very specific situations. And mm-hmm. like, if my parents call me out of the blue and we're no contact, like that sort of thing, that's going right. to hit certain things. Not necessarily because it's like, I haven't forgiven them or whatever. It's just because that's a big situation and that's expected. However, running into somebody that I did not like from my past at the, you know, at the grocery store, no longer pisses me off for 72 hours. Like I can look at that with curiosity and compassion and say, huh, yeah, I still don't like that person. They're still an awful human to me in my perspective. Like um, they're still bad for me, right? but I can move on. I, Mm -hmm. something that's really helped me is the recognizing that people aren't, some people are bad. Like that's fair. Like some people really are just like bad people, but most of the people that I have had conflict with and that I'm no longer talking with, they're actually really good people. They're just not good people for me. Mm-hmm. And I think right. that's really important right. because once you accept that, you're able to not be triggered as much. Like, oh, right. yeah, that person, that was not, they were, they were not healthy. They were not healthy for me to operate at my health, at the optimum of, of health for my life. Right. right. They're not bad. They're not innately right. bad people because they do have people in their life that are great for them. And, and I wish them nothing but the best. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's hard. I think that's something that's wound into the religious belief system as well is that, you know, although we're always in competition and blah, 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 that's below the surface on the surface, we're supposed to love everyone and involve everyone. And I, I, I think that loving everyone is actually important, but I think that the way that it's presented is destructive and messed up. Um, I mean, I love tell everyone you, in a way that we love ourselves and realize there that they're was, not bad people. Yeah. There was something so liberating, Devery. I, when I left, now it's interesting because like I was still very involved. This is, I left a small church where a tremendous amount of um, church abuse happened at. And then I went straight into the mega church and where I was a worship leader, women's ministry, the whole the, the, you know, the whole resume. And so I was going to this church and I was at, I was at this function, not a church function. It's like a state fair. Um, and somebody from my old church, from the one, from the small church I ran into and she was talking to me and, um, she commented on my hair. And at the time I had, um, I had had it red for a while, like for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was, you know, oh, 
I didn't know your hair was red. Like, yeah, it, it was red when I went to church, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she just started talking about other things that um, she's always been very passive and passive aggressive. Like that's how she, right. she's just, she's just not nice. Like she's just not a nice person. Um, and, but that's how she would control me. And because she had enough power in the church that we were at, I forced myself just to always like put on a smile, you know, put on a happy face and get along with her and really just placate her. Right. And I remember looking at her and I said, I don't even care. I'm going to say her name. I said, you know, what's so great, Nikki. And she just looked at me, she goes, what? And I said, I no longer have to pretend to like you. Bye. Mm. <laughs> like, I was just like, I don't have to do this anymore. You don't have power over me. I don't, right. I don't have to pretend to like you anymore. And that feels really good. Yeah. And I just walked away. Mm-hmm. And I, that was an important moment for me, even though I feel deep in the evangelical movement, but it's like, I'm okay to say that. I don't have to walk around with a smile on my face. Like, right. isn't it just like the patriarchy to create something called resting bitch face, which means that we as women <laughs> have to constantly be aware of the fact that we have to smile all the time in order to look nice. Right. right. I have come to a place where I realize I no longer have to be God's trophy wife. I no longer have to put on this front, this show, this makeup, these masks to make me more palpable to people yeah. and to bring people to God because it's not my job. That's not my responsibility. And not everybody is going to be my person and I'm not going to be everybody's person. And that's, what's really great about humanity is that I can, I can respect somebody by holding them at an arm's length. Like that's okay. That's an okay thing Mm -hmm. to do. But in the evangelical movement, it's not an okay thing to do. Right. And it's just, it feels good to not have to be a slave to that mindset anymore. Um, Did you, I'm curious, did it feel safe to you? Like I never felt safe to totally be myself with the other women in the church. Um, Although I pushed the boundaries more than I should have. Um, But I, understood inherently that to admit fault or thoughts that did not fall in line or um, to somehow dispel the illusion of perfection that we all wanted to, you know, wrap around ourselves, that that was inherently dangerous. And it prevented me from developing deep relationships with the women that I was around because everything felt fake and one-dimensional to me. Is that like, did you experience that at all? Yeah, I never had friends in church. I mean, I had the illusion of that. But see, women in the evangelical movement, they weaponize. Everything is a weapon. Everything is a way for them to get ahead. So like I said, testimony culture, 
huge deal in the evangelical movement. Like you're constantly sharing your testimony, but depending on your social standing inside the church, it was either you were either sharing too much and you were considered an overshare and emotional and like labeled all of these terrible things. Or if you had a good social standing, then wow, look at how much God has brought you through. That's so cool. No matter what, everything you said was weaponized. And like I said, it was just, everything was a competition, everything. Um, so I, I just, I never had a sincere friend yeah. inside of the church. All of my friends were not like good, good friends weren't like really weren't Christian because yeah. those were the ones like I, I remember thinking I can be myself around these people. And these were people that they don't go to church. Um, like one's an atheist. The other is more agnostic. Like I just, I've known them since high school and I just, I, I just adore them. And so these friends, we would go over there and like over to their house or they would come over here and I would feel so at home in my body. Like I could just, I could joke around about things and there was still, there was still an amount of shame that was associated with it. Right. Cause like I would be laughing at inappropriate. Well, what we would in the evangelical world be like inappropriate jokes, but really they were right. there. It's not like they're actually like truly inappropriate um, or laughing about like SNL or, you know, like the, they would have alcohol and, um, it, I, I never eliminated alcohol from my life. I just, um, there's like a control level to it, right? Like if I had alcohol, then I felt like I was more susceptible to Satan. Um, so I just really didn't have it. And I, it's just like, like we could just be free to be who we were. And then the same thing with, um, my cousin who I'm like, like, closer than sisters. Like, in fact, we call each other sisters. Um, and I could be myself around her and her husband, but I could not be myself around church. And I thought, well, maybe I am just not myself around these people, right? Maybe right. my true self is in church, but I was miserable with all of you know, like when we would get together with people from church, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing. The wife and I end up talking in the kitchen about child rearing while right. the husbands are, you know, off doing their thing. And then the kids are upstairs playing. Like it was so nauseatingly boring. Whereas yeah. when I would get together with other people, we would just be like laughing all day and talking about interesting things. And that that was always my thing is like, I hate shallow conversations. I think it's because yeah. I was raised in testimony culture. So like all of us evangelicals would get like, seriously, if you were to put deconstructed evangelicals in a room and they're, that's their whole thing, I guarantee you, they would start talking about some like really deep sharing testimony stuff. Like, cause it's, it's just like, it is so ingrained in us that that's like a normal thing you do. So I would go to church and somebody would say, Oh, how's your walk with God? And I would be like, Oh, well, you know, and it would be somebody you don't even know. You're like sharing all of this personal information with them because 
you were required to give an account mm. of how God has worked in your life so that it might lead people wow. to Jesus and into the kingdom of heaven. Like we were required to do, it was, it was something that we had that to do, right? So what we all have had to retrain ourselves to do is to understand that when we meet new people, they don't want to hear about church abuse. They don't want to hear about mm. like any sort of horrible things that have happened in our life. Like that's not dinner party conversation that they like to talk about travel and politics and art and literature. Yeah. Like, like they're, that really is a thing, but growing up inside the evangelical movement, like we did, that was not a thing. You didn't talk about politics yeah. unless of course it was anti-abort, like your, um, yeah, anti-abortion stuff. Um, you didn't talk about this... art unless <laughs> it led to something else. You didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's so many, this is fascinating to me though because before we opened we were taught you said something about like mormons also have testimony culture which we do but this is fascinating because in mormon culture that is supposed to be expressed only at the meeting right and the rest of the time the rest of the time we are supposed to say we're fine. We're great. Everything is so beautiful. Oh no. Yeah, no, no. Christians. <laughs> That's just it. It's like evangelicals have to always have the worst testimony imaginable in their back pocket, ready to use. I will give you an example of how oh, yeah, I no, have ours learned... are ours are the brightest and the shiniest, and you're like, no, no, no dark, like, doom, no, gloom. Best, <laughs> like, like I am not kidding you. Go ahead and do a poll of e people that were evangelical, and it, they will tell you that they were always like we were always really jealous of people that had like drugs in their testimony because that gave them <laughs> more sorry. credibility in the kingdom of god like so, so for, for somebody like me i'm like oh they have drugs like they're they're more christian like that's more credible. are you i god really need more i need you to be god exaggerating this more. Please tell I'm not, me. Please I am tell not, me. I'm not. I'm not. I, you know what I I'm going to do? I can't. You guys are all just. I'm going to. You're all sitting around being like, damn it. Not enough drugs. Oh, my God. I'm going to make a TikTok. And you just watch the comments. They will I, say, is... I, will, I will. I'll do that. It's, See, it's and true. No, and then, it's like. And then here's the thing. Here's <laughs> the kicker, Devery. I didn't realize that I needed to deconstruct this until I went to my daughter's dance recital. This is a good one. And then uh, I walked up to somebody that is the, she's the mom of one of my, of, of one of my daughter's dance buddies, right? She's like, oh, you know, this is my, these are my parents. And I was like, oh, that's really great. They're like, oh, did, you know, did um, not, uh, my daughter's grandparents come? And I was, I was like, Oh no, you know, since I left the evangelical movement, they have blah, 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 blah. like, and I'm going into this thing. And then I stop and I'm like, you're not in the evangelical movement anymore. These are not things that normal people talk about. And right. I just paused and I was like, nope, they live kind of far away. So I uh, no, they've got their own thing going on. And I like turn around and walked away. And I was like, wow, I was so <laughs> used to that. That yeah. it's like, I always had to say, no, like, for instance, if this were a church thing, 
I would say, no, you know, because like, I'm really choosing to follow Jesus. Um, they have disowned me and it's so heartbreaking, but you know, God is like really taking me through this. And I know that he is going to use this for his glory, but I would go in depth. Right. And then that person would be like right there. Oh my gosh. Say more to me. Like, tell me more about this. And I wouldn't even have to know this person. That's just how that would work. Um, and for, for me, I'm no content. Like I, my husband and I escaped the evangelical movement and they're still very, very deep in it. So that's why we're, there's a myriad of other reasons why we're not, why we're no contact with that. I would say is the foundation of that. Right. Um, cause when you leave a cult and everybody else stays in it, you become threat number one. So they have to distance themselves. Like I, when we escaped, we lost all of our friends. The only friends that we had were ones that were not going to church, which was just a few, you know, I mean, really, we lost everything, um, our entire community, my family, um, everything, when we made that choice to escape. And I've never been happier. Um, I was just gonna, my question was going to be, because I think this is important. a lot of people don't leave or struggle to leave because of exactly what you said, because we know we're going to lose everything. Right. Or if we, or Mm -hmm. we know that there is a high, high likelihood that it could happen and it's scary. And so I always want to ask people like, now that you're on the other side, was it worth it? A hundred percent. I'm so happy. It's not just that it's like, I, love watching my children not grow up being indoctrinated yeah um for instance like i everything was controlled it we had wacky rules i was just talking to somebody else is evangelical or former evangelical we were just saying like some things were allowed but some things weren't allowed and you never knew what it was going to be it was like based on what focus on the family would put out um so, you know, if Dr. Dobson was like, well, this is, this is bad today. Then my mom was like, oh, sorry. I know you were watching that yesterday, but like now there's uh, witchcraft or now there's this. And it's like, uh, okay. So I got really, really good at hiding things. I got very good at like figuring out ways that I could still listen to the music that I wanted to, but in a way that they would never know about, right? So I would I would put a blank tape into my boom box, we were latchkey kids. So we put a blank tape into my boom box and record the hip hop radio station. And then when my parents went to sleep, I'd put that little cassette tape into my cassette player and my headphones, and then I could listen to the music that I wanted to listen to. But that's the only way that I could do that. And because right. only Christian music was allowed in my house, except for the weird Garth Brooks phase my mom went through. It was a thing. Um, but, and that was fine. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like I remember being obsessed with, you know, thunder rolls and, and everything, but um, I know, I know it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, and by the way, I'm going to, I'm connecting these now. 
Um, so we're going to switch audio because my phone, my headphones are about to die, but it's not going to, I'm not switching audio just quite yet. Um, my sincerest apologies. The thing is, so I think of my kids and because I was raised solely on Christian music, I started doing that for my own kids as well. And we would listen to, um, you know, Christian radio, praise and worship, all of that. And then when we left, that was something, because when, when we left, and I say left and escaped, and for me, it's like, I try harder to use the word escaped, because I look at everything that I, like, quote, walked away from, and I absolutely escaped. I didn't, um, where my mental state was, I think had I kept going, it would have, it would have gotten to a place where my, where I was so dark that I, I fear for what would have happened. Um, so I say escaped because yeah, I wasn't like running away from somebody that had a gun. However, everything was so problematic and uh, anyway, it was just getting really dark. So, yeah, I, you know, when you say, I just want to, before you go on, when you say I wasn't running away from someone that had a gun, you kind, you kind of were though. And I think that we discount the seriousness yeah. of situations sometimes because of, you know, the lack of physicality. And I was talking to a friend of mine, um, who I, I may still have on the show. I'm working out some stuff, but he, um, yeah, it's a, he, it'll be, it would be my first he, uh, but he was talking about his wife and we're good friends. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, when she says that, she would have died if she stayed in the Mormon church. She was not exaggerating. And I thought that it was so profound that he admitted that and that he was able to see that because it is like, there's a reason that suicide rates are very high. I mean, amongst Mormons, for sure. I haven't looked at the numbers on evangelicals, but um, there's, they are, they're very, very high, especially for um, like the queer population yeah um it's um I agree with you though I I was raised with dare to discipline and the strong-willed child which are James Dobson books and that is all about how to beat I said beat Mm -hmm. the will out of your child Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. to basically like create Stockholm syndrome. Like that, that's what it is. You know, like you, you work so hard to survive and you lose yourself completely in order to survive because you are told that you can leave anytime, but you can't because you you know, if you leave, you will lose your family, your friends, so your social security, like mm-hmm. your social safety net, um, you know, for a lot of college kids that find, you know, like they go to college, they, they're no longer inside of their parents' home. They go to college. They're like, actually, um, I identify as queer. They stay closeted because they know that if they came out, their parents would no longer support them. So they lose mm-hmm. the ability to go to college. There's, it's like there's so much control. No, you can't just leave any time that you want. 
You mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing. Yeah. Um, right. So right. with my kids, like being able to watch my kids grow up and and be free of that indoctrination yeah. is just a really cool thing. It's so hard, I think, for us as mothers to take this journey in that the first part is so messy and we are falling apart and we are crying and we are angry and we don't know what way is up anymore. And our initial thing for most people that I've talked to is, oh my God, my kids, my poor kids, my poor kids, like they're watching me go through this. And what I've learned through some just profound experiences that I have that we don't have time to share is that what we're really doing is offering our children the greatest gift that we will ever give them in their entire lives. And that is how to restructure and re-become all on their own. Like they're watching a living model of this in front of their faces and they're watching you deconstruct all of these things and be like, this is nonsense and this is nonsense and we aren't doing it this way and this doesn't make sense. And it is like they will leave your home so prepared to be who they are. And it is an advantage that not a lot of their peers will get. And so I just want every woman out there who is sitting here thinking like, oh my God, but I'm just such a mess and my poor children, like, no, not your poor children. You are giving them a gift that they will never be able to repay you for. And small stuff like listening to Green Day in the car is a gift for them that you were not able to receive. And it is fucking beautiful. It is. I was not allowed to listen to Madonna and under any circumstances, like that was an absolute no. So when my daughter, oh gosh, this is probably like a year ago, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm going to put on, it it might've been on like, you know, XM radio or something like that, but it was Papa Don't Preach. And I turned it up Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I was singing it and she's kind of in the back and she's sort of like dancing a little bit. And I was like, this is breaking the cycle. Like breaking the cycle doesn't mean I'm teaching my kids about like, you know, rewiring their neural pathways. It's like breaking the cycle is saying, I'm going to give my kids autonomy. I'm going to let my kids decide Mm -hmm. whether or not they like this music or they don't like this music. And I'm going right. to set them up to right. be able to make a fucking decision at a drive through Yep. And know that they exactly. don't have these exactly. crazy implicate, like th- these eternal implications on them. That's, that's what I want to give my kids. And then when I was driving my kid to lacrosse last night, he looked at me, he was in the passenger seat and he was like, you know, what's really weird. And I said, well, what? And he's like, The fact that pastors and anybody at a church or any Christian can say, God told me this and no one can disagree with them. And he just, he paused and he was like, that's really messed up. People can get anybody to do anything when that happens because no one's allowed to question it. And I was like, I looked at him and I was like, yep. Yep. And he's like, Oh my god! A teenager, you know I what I love mean? That like, you're I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> I do. And that's that's the name of the podcast because I that was the same. I'm like, in the name of God, like that's the hard stop. That's always the hard stop. Like, well, we don't believe that men are better than women, but God does, so we can't argue, mm-hmm. right? And like, we don't actually think this, but God does, so eh, 
like out yep. of our hands. Yep. Like it's always God is the hard stop and you can't argue anymore. Um, so I love, I love that you have created an environment within your home where your teenager all of a sudden was like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, like out of nowhere. It's not like, messed up. it's not like we were talking yeah. about a bunch of different things. It was like out of, like just out of nowhere. Like that was what was on his brain. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Amazing. All the time. Amazing. Okay. So I think that we are, this is a perfect place to start wrapping up. Um, we had just such an amazing conversation, but I want you to tell, um, I think I'm going to tell my thought on this, but first I would like yours. What would you, for, for women who are stuck in the place of, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to make a choice. I don't know. Like you actually, we didn't mention this, but you said in our pre-interview, like, I didn't even know what my favorite color is. Right. Yeah. So like for women who are like, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know what is like, so we have, sorry, I'm trying to like clarify what I'm asking for here. So there's two sides to this question that we could go down. So the first question is the big, huge answers of like, you know, pulling the masks off and deconstructing and doing all this, which we've touched on. And then there's the other, which we haven't really looked at, which is what is a simple exercise or a simple thing that you would suggest somebody to do to just start learning how to make a choice? Does that make sense? Yeah. Give yourself permission to not like the choice that you make because you're Oh my learning. God, that's perfect. I love it. Like, I love, oh God, say that again, say it again, say it again. Give yourself permission (laughs) to not like the choice that you make because you, I love that. I I had to do that last night. This is a great example. Um, I, our anniversary was May 22nd, our 19th anniversary. That's right. Got married at 20, Mm -hmm. like a good evangelical (laughs) and who, um, yeah, so much has changed. We're two totally different people than who we were. And I love it. Um, so I got this watch. Um, I got, it's a, I got it off Amazon. It's a Michael Kors. It's beautiful. Right. But I looked at like, when I got it, I was forcing myself to like this. And I was taught like, Okay, I, look, I love bows. I love sparkles. I, I, I'm like a four-year-old girl inside, right? Like, like if it could sparkle, mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. If I could dress every day like Tammy Faye Baker and Dolly Part, like I would do, I, I think my inner child is 1983 Reba McIntyre on stage. Like, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's me. And I like things that are sparkly and everything, but for whatever reason, because of indoctrination, well, it's not even forever. It's because of indoctrination. I try to, I try to go small and then I'm not happy. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, that's not what makes yes, me happy. Yeah. That's not what makes me smile. And so I have this watch and it's, it's really pretty and, and you know, whatever, but I'm, I, for whatever reason, like it, it, I don't like it. So I'm looking on, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to return it and get something different. 40 but no, an hour. It took me an hour to sit there and decide between two watches that are pretty much identical 
And I was like, I just don't know. I feel like I'm going to be disappointed if I get the, you know, and I'm, I'm like sitting for an hour. Like I worked myself up to, into yeah. a triggered state over a watch. And yeah. I finally had to say, I give myself permission to be disappointed in this choice because this is a mm -hmm. very small thing. This is not, mm -hmm. this is, this has not, this is not eternity. This is a watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I right. don't like it, I can return it. I can exchange it. Like, but I had to give myself that permission to understand that I am not failing. I am just finding out what I don't like and what I do like. And yeah. there's power in that. Like we as women and, and men deal with this too. Although theirs is tied to inadequacy. Um, and I would, I would argue that like, so is ours, but we have a lot of other stuff tied to that too. Um, but I, um, yeah, I just, I had, I had to do that. Like I, I just had to give myself that, um, permission because, um, we, we weren't taught that that was okay. Like that it was okay if yeah. you made the wrong decision. We weren't taught that because we had decisions made for us. Our, our life was yeah. mapped out for oh, us. Perfect. So that's, Perfect. That's what that's what I would have to say is give yourself that permission to say it's okay if I make the wrong choice because I you yeah. will eventually find out exactly what you like and what you don't like yeah. and you know it's like a toddler that screams cuz they want the yellow cup when they when you gave them the blue one, right? Well, my entire fucking yeah. life I've been given the blue cup even though I've always yeah. wanted the other one. But I was told right, right. that the blue cup was the one that I, that I should love. And now I'm starting to come back to who that original person was and saying, oh, wait, I actually have never really liked this. I wanted that to begin right. with. And sometimes we do have yeah. to start that. We have to like regress to that level of saying, what's my favorite color? Because yeah, that absolutely. favorite color is tied to so many other things. And mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, even fashion. Like, what do I like? Because I dressed like I was yep. the worship leader of a mega church. I don't like that. Exactly. I don't, I don't want to dress <laughs> exactly. like that. Like, that's not who I am. <laughs> yeah. So I know. I basically redecorated my entire house, like, slowly over time. But because, yeah, I'm like, I don't like any of this shit. But Mormon decor, like you, you know, a Mormon house when you walk in it most of the time, You've like got, there's like a very, especially Idaho, Utah, giant, like very specific aesthetic. Jesus. I'll never forget. <laughs> like when we first moved in this neighborhood, our neighbors across the street are Mormon, um, temple Mormon. And we, I walked in their house and I can't believe I said this. I was just, and this is just like me being a total like asshole because a sass hole is what I call it. Um, because <laughs> so I walked in their house, Debbie, and I looked on the wall and there is like a giant, giant picture of Jesus, right? White, mm -hmm. of course. And 
I looked well, and yes, I was like, obviously. Oh look! <laughs> I was like, oh look at that! A picture of my personal Lord and Savior on your wall. How cool! Like I was just such a. Uh, like I knew, uh-huh. I knew that they were LDL. Uh-huh. As soon as I saw that, it's like the same. You know, you you see that picture everywhere. It's like I know. Okay, now I know they're LDS, but now I'm just gonna even stab yeah. it and be like, oh, that's my personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> He tore the yeah. No, there's a very specific aesthetic. Veil. Like that's what I would always tell Mormons. Even outside, he tore the veil. Oh, well, you were delightful. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, it's but see, and even beyond that though, even beyond the church pictures, there's a specific uh, there's certain like color themes you'll see repeated. Yeah. Certain types of decor choices um, in this area, like wrought the wrought iron wall decor, hugely popular. Um, but no, I did. I woke. I was like, "Why? I literally hate all of this shit that I have." And so I slowly started buying. I mean, and just like whatever struck me. Like I remember, I brought home. Listen, on top of my piano, there is a giant. Okay, well, let's see. What do we got? Four, three feet high silver um, cobra. There's a cobra on my piano, and I brought it home. And my husband's like, "Huh?" <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. You know what? I like it. This makes me happy. But so, okay. So my, my parting thing before we wrap this up on for when you're trying to learn how to make choices, uh, we'll, we'll start with Stephanie's is step one <laughs> and mine is step two. And it's only because for some reason people freak out about doing things by themselves. But I would say as a woman, take the day. Okay. Take the day and take yourself out for the whole day. And you are going to, by yourself, decide what you want to do. So you're going to decide where you want to go to breakfast and you're going to go there and you are going to decide what you want to eat and you're going to sit there and enjoy it. You're going to go to a movie by yourself, which by the way, if you've never gone to a movie by yourself, that is the most delightful thing on the planet because you get to pick what snacks you want. You get to pick what show you want. You're not sitting there wondering if your person next to you likes the show or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just enjoy it. You bring it, you go shopping, you buy yourself something that you like. And just all day you make choices without anyone else around you to worry about. Do they like it? Are they bored? Do they want to do this? Like you've taken all of the variables out, which is Mm -hmm. hard to navigate when you are very used to worrying about that. You've taken all the variables out. And so now the only thing you have to focus on for the entire day is what do I want? Period. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Perfect. I love it. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on today. I've loved our entire conversation and all the things that you've said. Um, as a reminder, I'm going to pronounce this correctly. TikTok, evangelical. Damn it. I had it. Zenial. There it is. Okay. I was like, for the love of God, tell me that's right. Um, yes. So go, go check out Stephanie's channel. She's got a lot of great things on there. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we will talk again. Very I soon. love it. Yeah, let's do it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. There once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns.
eyes. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry